Let's talk about the future of news. I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. The state of journalism today. Telling both sides of a, of a controversial story. I think you must be unbiased. It's uh, honesty, fairness, uh, truth. That is our job. That is our job. That is our job. Welcome once again to the Arab Man in Stockholm podcast. My name is Philip O'Connor, and this is a kind of a sort of a special Christmas edition, follow your dreams edition, right? So um, picture the scene. You're a professional footballer. You're getting paid for doing the one thing you love. You're building a career for yourself. You've represented your country at underage level, but it's not enough. You want to be a pop star as well. And a few months later, there you are on stage in Globen in Stockholm, singing with Robbie Williams and enjoying the adulation of all of Sweden and in turn the world. Uh, the man who's done that, that's not me, of course, uh, on the other end of the line is Kevin Walker from County Carlow, uh, various towns in Sweden. Kevin, how are you? Great. Thank you for that introduction. <laughs> there you go. That's the you're last nice thing you're going to say. You're quite, quite resume yourself there. So don't. I do. I do. But the don't great thing shine this, all the spotlight on me here. <laughs> the great thing about this podcast is I get to talk about what other people do. The, the only time I ever talk about myself is when I'm defending myself in court, which happens all too often. All right. You know? um, Kev, just for the people who sort of don't know you, and there's very few of them in Sweden, but there'll be a few in Ireland. I was just looking back over your childhood, right? You actually played for an awful lot of different soccer clubs coming up. And the original club that you played for was Vorbay down on the west coast of Sweden, if that's right. Now, that's because your dad obviously was a professional footballer himself. What's your earliest memory of football then, Kevin? Probably wearing a United jersey and the whole kit when, when I was like around three or four in Vorbay. Yeah, maybe I'm stretching that a bit. Maybe I'm five or something like that. But me and my brother kicking the ball around, and, and I actually remember my first training session. Uh, I was a year younger than the than the other lads, but my dad got me in, and uh, you know the first thing that happens, we were playing indoor, and I get a, I get a quite a, a strong volley in the right in the chin. And I, I wiped my nose and I kept going and all the, the parents were, were giving me applause and stuff. So that was me up and running then and taking, taking it on the chin from the beginning, you know. Yeah, on, on such and things, careers it. are built. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't, I, I remember, uh, I remember getting out there and all of that, but my, my mother always uh, uh, lets me know history and stuff. So that's probably why I think I remember it happening as well, like, you know. Mm. Oh, the, the important thing is that somebody remembers it, you know. Yeah. Um, but as it was, like most kids are coming up, say if you were from Stockholm here and you play for Bromma Poikan, I claim to be the biggest club in Europe, 4,000 players, right? But you actually moved around. You played in Kalman and you played in Sundsvall and you played in Örebro, the town where your parents uh, now live. Did you find that sort of strange in a way? Because, you know, your dad was moving around from club to club and you were moving around with him because yourself and Robert often went to live with him in the towns that he played in. So did you find that strange at all or was this just normal to you and Robert? It was the it was our reality in a way, and it was it was what we were used to uh, growing up. I mean, we got, of course, we got attached to friends and and stuff where we lived, and we still have contact with a handful of people from all the places we've lived. Uh, it's it's difficult to know if the grass is greener on the other side because this was this was sort of my backyard that I grew up in, hmm. and and we bounced around a little bit and. You know, I feel all the better for it uh, looking back now. And, uh, you know, it's helped me to be very social and outwardly and, 
and uh, gaining friends was no problem when you were quite good at sports when I was growing up so that helped you know moving around and then we were very tight as a family as well so um, you know I wouldn't have had it any other way looking back from the outside looking in that's fairly obvious from the beginning right but I know your dad your dad's a tough man you know so was he hard growing up did he sort of you know in Swedish we say Stella Krav did he sort of set the bar very high for yourself and Robert growing up he set it in a way that it was always challenging and we were always he showed me a paper the other day where he himself had, had uh, he was going through his office and and he found this note in a notepad and he was sort of structuring up what he was going to do with us during during the, the next coming six months or something. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, three times a week we're, we're uh, out doing stuff in, in the garden and, and then we'll train extra, me and the lads, and then we'll read in the evenings. And he, he, was, he was very structured and given and planning time with us. And, and uh, you know, we had a great childhood and he was never, he was, he was the alpha male Without a doubt, but Still he was is. also he was also uh, the gentlest man you could you could ever have as a father. I think he he uh, he he was so good at staring us with his men- mental sort of uh, way of coaching us. Mm. And uh, you know, if we were like any other brothers. You know, we would fight and have all sorts of rows. But you know, he he uh, we love each other dearly today, and I think it's a. It's a big testament to my father and my mother, the way they brought us up. You know, we, we turned out quite decent, I think. I think you certainly did. Uh, you do have a big brother, and he's big both in terms of the fact that he's a little bit older than you, but he's also sort of physically taller than you. Was it difficult yeah. growing up? Because, again, I know your brother as well, and he's the greatest wind-up merchant I've ever met. <laughs> but did he do the same thing to you as he does to other people, you know, when you're playing in the back garden? Definitely, I'd get the odd win in the PlayStation or in a in a in a competition, and when we were playing football or whatever, like you know, and he and we would we would play then until he won, and then we would finish. You know, it would be like that <laughs> if I had the upper hand. But most of the time, I you know, I I broke my wrist once, and it was two weeks before we were going to go and train with Blackburn Rovers. Me and my brother, we were going there on sort of a invitational trial. And uh, they wanted us both in, and you know we were playing uh, in the cellar in my in my parents' house. In um, there's a room where where you can do activities and sports and, and stuff, and you know it's uh, it's perfect for one against ones, like you know with a little ball and two goals. So we were doing that. I'm nine nil down to my big brother, right? And he has the ball and he's teasing me, and I and then I try to do a slide tackle because he's an open goal and he's done me like, you know, and he's just going to slot it in for 10 mil and the win, you know, we were playing to 10. And I broke my arm, you know, two weeks before we were, and I get caught on the floor and I break my arm and we're in bits, everybody. And, uh, you know, I was, I, it sort of helped me to have somebody better and physically more developed than me during my whole childhood because I was always aspiring to something better than myself. And I think he's a massive part in, in, in my uh, development. And we ended up going on the trial and I, we did very well, by the way. I played with a, with a cast and all of that. Like, you know, so we did very well. But at the end of the day, we didn't uh, opt to go over there for, for um, contracts and stuff. But it was a very, uh, very intense time. That was just to give you a story how, how the rivalry was, was born between us. Like, you know, and we were yeah. doing that every week. You know, not breaking arms, but... <laughs> 
<laughs> close enough, as close as you can get without hurting each other, you know? Yeah, but it yeah. always sort of seemed, Kev, that, you know, from the time that you two were very young, because I know Robert's career was cut short by injury, so he ended up having to stop his elite career in the Alsfans game with the other bro. I think it was a knee injury that sort of did for him in the end. But it always seemed that you were destined to become footballers. There was, you know, did your dad ever talk or your mom ever talk about, oh, you know, uh, maybe you should study this or maybe you should, or were you always going to become a footballer? Was that always the goal? They were very, they were very clear upon us uh, finishing uh, school. Yeah, uh, we had to do that, and uh, uh, there was no question that we were dropping out or anything like that. You know, I was flying away, and my thoughts, like you know, I wanted to go abroad quickly, and I wanted to play for big teams early, and you know, uh, and stuff like that. And, uh, and they were quite firm and, and said, like you know, you need to finish your school and all of that. And thankfully, we. Both me and my brother didn't have any problems with school. Like you know, we could uh, mm. we could get by there, and uh, even though we were playing in um, in senior teams quite early on, like and and stuff, so so we were able to combine school and and the football. Uh, you know, and you know, looking back at that, like you know, that combining music and football is sort of similar to doing school, and and mm. like you know, so that was a big. Uh, you didn't know at the time, but combining things like family and and combining uh, your profession and stuff like that you were learning about life then that you didn't realize already yeah. and it was um yeah basically it was uh it was uh the only thing my mind was bent on was having football as my profession and playing at old trafford uh, one day but mm-hmm. you know you shoot for stars and end up in i don't know in the hillside somewhere or whatever well you know you do it hasn't got too badly yet but you've won the swedish cup you've won the swedish league a couple of years ago with you gordon but when you first came to stockholm you actually came to their sort of crosstown rivals that would be aik and i remember sitting with your dad once watching a derby a stockholm derby game right and you were still a teenager at this point and there was me and him and there was the nigerian ambassador who was there to see one of the players at you gordon and you put the guy in your pocket and you kept him there for 90 minutes at the age of about 19 years old you know and when you were done you were pretty much okay, this is what I could do. But it didn't really work out there at AIK for you. Can you remember what it was that happened there? Why did that sort of go sour on you? Yeah, well, definitely. I was flying in the pre-season 2009. Uh, we, uh, you know, there were, I played uh, basically the five last games from start 2008. Mm-hmm. And I'd done seven consecutive uh, substitutions before that. So I was getting into the team. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I uh, I was flying and I was uh, we were in I think we were in Spain somewhere on a on a training camp and from there I was going to go and play with the Swedish under 21s and I uh, I became ill with blood poison mm. uh, and um, you know that um, you know to cut a long story short uh, it was antibiotics 12 tablets a day six months because I got a re uh, what do you call the uh, reinfection kind of thing? Yeah, reinfection thing after two months of 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 rehabilitation after the first time it happened to me when we were in Belgium and stuff. So I was out for the whole th- 2009 season in Sweden between like uh, April and and uh, January the the year in 2010. So I had to rebuild myself. 2010. I went on a few loan spells to get a bit of time. Uh, and um, you know that's basically what happened to me in in the AIK, and they believed in me a lot, and and extended my contract then with a year that I had lost. Mm. 
And 2011, then I was getting back into swings with things like the, my body was feeling much better. And, you know, I was able to play at 2010, but, you know, I, I got a few headaches here and there and like, you know, my body wasn't fully recovered and, and, um, you know, I had to build myself up. So, so I ended up moving up to Sundsvall on a, on a loan spell at the end of that season. And it went very well for me. I think, uh, you know, points-wise and team-wise, I fitted in great, and uh, we won promotion that le- those last eight games up there. So I ended up signing for them then the next uh, three years, mm. and um, that's basically what happened to me in AIK. It was. I always wondered about that because I remember talking to your father when you were ill, and you were actually on the way back from Belgium to Stockholm at the time. And your dad called me and he told me you were sick. And I remember saying to him, "Look, at if he needs anything, because we lived. I was living in Schiesta where I still live, and you were living in Swan at the time." I said, "Look, at if the boy needs that, let me know." But they were really worried about you at the time because they said that you know what had happened to you in Belgium, that you were close. You know, you could have lost your life at some point. Are you? Yeah. Do you ever think about that now? Did that ever sort of you know? Do you feel that? that was hard on you that you were sort of traumatized by that did it take a long time to come back from it or have you gotten over all that now well uh, put it in terms it was a tough year you know uh, I watched AIK and my teammates uh, win both the league and the cup yep. uh, and uh, you know I would have been a massive part of all of that and I would have probably not played in Sweden the year after that you know, the way I was heading, you know, um, there was some heat building around me with clubs and stuff, but, you know, if, uh, if my uncle was my, you know, all right, I think I know what you're going to say that, now. <laughs> ifs and all of that, like, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, my, I bit my tongue there, but, you know, <laughs> looking back at it it, it, it was a tough year, but I also started, I picked up the guitar and I started playing piano I saw like Coldplay Bruce Springsteen and you too that year I met the mother of my children indoors there and you know I had uh, I made a, a little bit of lemonade from the lemons I was given in 2009 and it took me 10 years to get my my uh, my next gold in the Swedish league and you know I was so pleased with that accomplishment last year when we when we did that and quite exactly 10 years between that traumatized time and you know going through and building myself up and then getting back to that sort of level again and um yeah it's it's nice to look back at things and realize that you can get through most things in life you know if you have the right people behind you and you work hard you can accomplish things I remember after you got sick there, it was probably, it must have been probably nine or 10 months after you got sick. And um, I had two very young children at the time. They're a lot older now. And you came over and you sat on my couch and you're going, I got a guitar, I got a guitar. And you came in and you played the guitar. And I kind of thought, you know, here's this young fella coming in here now and he won't be, he won't know his way around anything, you know, and that kind of, and you were brilliant. Like, and you were only playing the thing about six months at that point, but you'd played it so much that you were fantastic. When did you start writing songs? When did you get the idea that you wanted to write songs for yourself? It was in that period, and it, I was, you know, I loved uh, John Mayer at the time. Yeah. Uh, still do. And he was massive, like, you know, and I loved the sound of acoustic guitars with Eric Clapton's music. And, you know, music has been a massive interest in my life, you know. And uh, and I just felt like I can't sit and play a PlayStation all day long now when I'm ill and wasn't allowed to train that year. So. You can't be a real footballer if you can't do that. <laughs> well, I mastered the FIFA a long time. That's before. true. That is true. Yeah, there was no more mountains left. Modern to Warfare as well, like you know, up in the ranks every time. But 
you know, I felt like I need to do something and, you know, I didn't really feel like studying or, you know, so uh, something creative and, you know, it was pretty difficult to play John Mayer songs. Certainly <laughs> you know, was. That was what impressed me. Master, he's the master, like, you know, so you, I started writing my own stuff out of a core, uh, like a core chords and, and different shapes that he was doing in his songs. Before I could master any of them, I was already creating my own things around it, like, you know, mm. and uh, trying to, you know, write stories the way Bruce writes stories and, and learn, trying to learn from, from the great songwriters and always try to have a message, you know, with the, with the, with the nice melodies. So I, 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 that's what I'm aspiring to and always have been. So 2008, 2009, you're flattening your back, you're taking 10, 12 tablets a day. A couple of years later, uh, you've been let go by AIK, you're up in Sunswell, you met the woman who will become the mother of your children, you've picked up a guitar for the first time, and somewhere, somewhere, somebody else, somewhere along the line said to you, right, have you thought about this pop idol thing? It's called Idol in Swedish. Have you thought about doing this pop idol thing? Where did that sort of come from? Because it struck me as being the most impossible thing to be a professional footballer and be live on the television from Stockholm every Friday night. Whose idea was that, Kevin? It wasn't mine. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I'd uh, really got, uh, like, bitten from, from guitars and stuff. And um, I bought a, a really expensive... Uh, Martin guitar, uh, John Mayer uh, signature model from 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 um, Martin guitars in in America, and uh, you know a down payment, five hundred kroners a month for five years. You know, uh, and I was sort of in the midst of all of that, and I was and Pop Idol were in town, and and they they'd seen me sing in a open mic thing in, uh, in the casino because we had a center back who couldn't go he was a bit of a pianist and yeah we've been asked to do that and uh, long story short uh, they'd seen the clip and the footage and you know can you come in and and uh, do an audition for us we're looking for talent in in town and i was off that day and i called my brother and i called my dad and i was like should i go in for this like you know and yeah, somebody might see you and you might get to go in and record a song or whatever, like, you know. Yeah. All right, I'll do it for a laugh then and just feel it in. <laughs> and uh, it ended up uh, being more than a laugh and, uh, you know, a hell of a ride to to excel and get another another industry I could uh, could walk into. And, uh, and uh, you know, I've, I've uh, really enjoyed music and it's been great. But that, that's, like, for those few weeks that that competition was going on on the TV here, right? it's hard to describe to people who aren't Swedish how big Schlager Festival and the Eurovision, that kind of thing is, right? But this was everywhere, Kevin. People were going on, oh, Kevin's playing an away game now. What's going to happen with the club? What songs are he going to play? So you were in the, so the pink pages, which are the sports pages in the country's biggest newspaper, and you were in the entertainment pages. When did you sleep during all this? When did you train and rest and eat? I was sort of in the eye of the storm, you know, I was, uh, everything was planned around it. I didn't miss a single uh, session with my team. Uh, I, I missed rehearsals for the shows on the Fridays, <laughs> which I would have benefited of uh, attending like, but, uh, you know, I was trying to learn, uh, learn to tread as we, as we went in, in, in the middle of live television. And it's not easy, you know, uh, trying to, you know, I remember the songs here and all your cue with the cameras. And, and on top of that, we're preparing for an important game on Sunday. Like, and I'm sitting in a taxi home and, and like, you know, I'd train Saturday morning after arriving late at night. And, you know, I'd go train and then I'd go home and sleep after the session. And, 
you know, I, I was never knackered. I was never, ever did I feel tired or anything. I don't think it would have worked as well with two children. You know, it was the right period in life to do that sort of thing, young and fresh. And never once did I feel tired or complain about it. It was, when I look back, it just gave me energy, you know, except mm. one or two times where I basically uh, didn't have my best uh, <laughs> performances. But I got through that as well because it was, I was totally new on stage and I didn't know how to react with my listening and I didn't know what to look for or ask for in my mm. in hearing on stage. Yeah. So I was uh, getting lost in frequencies sometimes now looking back at it. But, you know, I got through it and I... I basically learned uh, how to sing uh, live on stage with a band and music and everything in front of 1.4 million viewers every Friday. Yeah. And uh, it was amazing and to have that school and that pressure to learn how how you work under pressure is something I benefited enormously in my football so uh, you know. Lou Reed used to call that growing up in public because there's just no more sort of public right. way of growing up than on that stage. You know, it was that's right. crazy time. Um, it went better and better and better. And every week, you know, despite one of the judges being a fucking idiot, every week, uh, because I, if you remember, we, I almost got into a row with him on the night of the final, but we won't tell yeah. that story here. There's uh, legal issues. But um, it went better and better and better for you every week. And all of a sudden, you find yourself there in the final, right? So at that point, I'd been in touch with people back in Ireland that said, okay, we have to tell the story of this kid. This is just unbelievable. You know, a few years ago, he was out, like really down on his luck. His, his football career had taken a downturn. Now, you know, all of a sudden he's in this final and people started to get interested in it. and they said to me can you go along and film it whatever happens because you were in the final right so you get to the final yeah. of this it all thing it's huge uh, it's in Globin. it's in one of the biggest most iconic venues i've seen you two play there metallica play there everybody yeah. rolling stones are play there now kevin walker is playing there with you know swedish mom and a dad from carlo and that how yeah. did you feel waking up that morning because you also got to sing with robbie williams did, was that a surprise to you did you know this was coming uh, they told us a week before that he was going to be involved in the final and uh, they said it was going to be a duet. So we were, we were allowed to rehearse and stuff before and learn his song yeah. and uh, um, that he was going to perform from his new album, like a big band sort of thing he was doing at the time. Yeah. But I've never been as nervous as, the as when we were going to go in for the rehearsals with him during, uh, during that day. And it was, I was, in, I was in bits, you know, I'd gone through it all. And, you know, and you'd think that I'd be weathered at, at this stage, like going into the final and just enjoy that. But it was the worst feeling ever. Like, you know, it's Robbie Williams. Have you, and do, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm in bits. I, I was lying in uh, like a fetus in the, in the couch, you know, and in my, in my little, in my little room there. And, and, uh, oh, are you all right? You know, Robbie Williams, have you seen Nebworth? Have you seen uh, yeah, like, 300,000 you know, people? Like, he was uh, a massive inspiration growing up and listened to his music so much and come out and he's the nicest man you'd ever meet. Uh, mm. And he was so kind to us. And, you know, it took like 10 seconds and he was, you know, we were off talking and, and yeah. stuff. He was asking me about my accent and stuff like that. And during the show later, he tapped me on the shoulder and you didn't tell me about your football and all of that. You're living my dream. He was going like, you know, wow. and, and stuff like that. And, you know, I'd love to play football. It's amazing what you're doing and all of that. Did you see me out there? I fucked it up. I missed the lyrics and everything. He was going yeah. like, you know, my manager wants to kill me. I thought of <laughs> F off, you know. And, and so he was such a nice bloke. And, and uh, you know, it was uh, probably, uh, you know, something I'll always cherish and tell my grandkids about. 
you know. You won't have to tell them because you can show them. There's about two million people watching the TV that night. They'll be tired of watching it. I'll have to tell them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I can never tell about. I actually go back because I think it's on Vimeo rather than YouTube. But I put up the cl- the clip of when I interviewed you straight after when it was all over, and you just won. Send me that link. I, I got to do that because I don't think you've seen it for about you know seven or eight years at least since since it happened. I've never seen it when it happened. <laughs> unbelievable i just sang with robbie williams by the way <laughs> pinch me did you expect that when you got up this morning oh, i knew it was coming but i didn't know i would be able for it like you know but it was such a privilege to just stand there like you know a, what's next after this great victory i have no idea it's the night is young let's how, celebrate how long will the party go on i don't know man i don't know next week the week after yeah. you were on the Late Late Show, and that was, I think your father had finally said, okay, he's arrived now, he's set for life. Yeah, you got happened? me on there. I, I, mean, I, I, I did sneak you in there. I, did, <laughs> I had you a little bit of a hand. wide open for me there. Exactly. It was that invisible hand that just sort of did that. Yeah. You know? But when, when they sort of announced you as the winner, you know, I mean, you're there, you're a professional footballer, you're a musician, you just performed with Robbie Williams. How do you get up the following morning? I mean, what mountains are there left to climb after that? Did you feel sort of deflated after that, or how did it feel? I got an hour and a half sleep, I think. After we <laughs> we uh, we knocked a few nightclubs out, and and uh, up in the morning, and there was a gathering with the production team and stuff. And then I was sent straight into the studio to record eight songs in two days for the album, which uh, is one of the uh, you get the record deal when you win, and and we we had to release the album before Christmas. This is the seventh of December or something like that. Yep. So it had to be done within a week or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, music from the, from the season that had been with me. And, and uh, you know, that was, it was straight to work. I had no voice in the, in, in the morning. I was, you know, Ronnie Drew. It would have been a Bob Dylan album, you know. <laughs> That's what I was. And we worked it up, me and the vocal coach I'd been working with, uh, you know, who was also from Sunswell, Suzanne Bertlin. She helped me out enormously. And, um, and um, you know, I had no previous training or whatever. So it was, yeah. it was just about loosening up everything and trying to get get decent vocal for the tracks, you know. But, and then I, after that, I got two days off, I think, after them. And then it was out, straight out and... You know, every shopping center and every uh, mall in, in, in Sweden hmm. uh, we visited in, in, in the period of like uh, three or four weeks. And was so, that like uh, performing or was it just signing autographs? Or was performing it two or three songs and, uh, you know, writing autographs and, you know, hmm. selling the album basically and thanking everybody for, for uh, you know, voting for me. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was brilliant seeing all the people that came out and, you know, the love and, and uh, the magnitude of the whole thing in Sweden is massive. You know, it was so nice to be a part of it. And, you know, we, we did uh, everything from uh, the local square up in Östersund with 7,000 people. And we did like uh, smaller places. And, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a massive thing. And I'm uh, really grateful to, to uh, experience that sort of uh, mm. love from, from so many people that voted for me. And, you don't win only because you have some kind of talent. You know, people lift you forward in in that sort of forum, and mm. uh, you know you're very grateful for everybody that's what. Yeah. 
Um, dressing rooms in, in soccer clubs are kind of notorious for, you know, you're not really allowed to get above your station there, right? Did the lads give you a hard time at all for your newfound celebrity? Never. Not, not once? Not opponents either. I think it was such a different thing, like, you know, and everybody was following this. And like you said, it was in the newspapers all the time. And, you know, I never, you know, all the... I think the production team were behind most of it to build the hype because they noticed that this is quite unique and, mm. you know, it's a story to tell. And um, Is he going to make it? You know, he, he got battered from the jury last week. Is he in this with his mentality? Does he care? Mm. And, oh, standing ovations. Oh, it's all uh, uphill, uh, downhill from here. And, yeah. you know, everything like that. It was a real roller coaster sort of thing. And, um, you know, I just try to enjoy the ride as long as I was in it. And then I realized after, you know, you know, I couldn't have you go all the way. Like, you know, <laughs> and that was a bit scary because, oh my God, how am I going to manage that? Like, you know, and stuff. And, um, you know, I just tried to enjoy it. It was a bit harder on the other contestants, I think. And, you know, they, they were at another stage in life with themselves as well. They were younger than me, uh, you know, it's, Five, six, this was their only yeah, thing, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I, I was like a little bit. I was in and out. Like I wasn't with them during the weeks and stuff. And I would come mm. in, and, uh, you know, and um, it was sort of difficult for them. But it, you know, I was also helpful for them. I think you know, I I've been through a, a few things already, and like you know, your you grand don't mind about the critique and stuff like that. It's, mm unwarranted most of it like you know we're trying our best there and you're you're done great like you know i was like that to the other other contestants yeah. and you know it's perspective of things like and yeah i think that's why i managed to get through it as well because i did enjoy it even though i was like a, I, I i looked calm, calm when i looked at it like you know i would have done better vocally today if i was in it but you know i did my best then and and uh, you know it was a great experience Fantastic to see what happened afterwards because you managed to keep the music going in parallel. And if we sort of fast forward a couple of years, all of a sudden you were back in Stockholm playing football. But as I mentioned, it wasn't with AIK, it was with you, Gordon, who are their sort of hated rivals here. Um, I remember you and your family and everything being sort of threatened at that time. So people were saying they were going to come and kick your head in and smash up your car and that kind of thing. Um, how did you feel signing that contract? Because you had a great relationship with AIK, with the fans, with the players and the club. And then all of a sudden, the best contract that's on the table is with their rivals. How did, you feel, how did that make you feel? Did you have sort of, you know, was it difficult you know, to sign that? It was basically Busse Anderson, the sporting director of, of you, Gordon, phoned my dad up when my contract was expiring and I was doing very well up in the Sundsvall and I was captain the, the mm -hmm. team and we were, we were on the way back to Alsvenskan and, you know, I, I felt like the club uh, in Sundsvall was um, in good shape if we won promotion and I'd done my games up there, over a hundred of them mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I'd gotten in everything I needed to rebuild myself after my blood poisoning and it was the right stage and the right time for that but now I needed another, another challenge and you know Abusa saw my qualities and he wanted my uh, leadership and he wanted my my uh, my qualities as a football player and you know it was a, it was a great marriage in that respect uh, everything and the sporting side of it you Gordon massive club uh, should be uh, in the top flight every year fighting for the titles but they hadn't been they'd been struggling for a while and the mm. economy wasn't great and, and 
you know, and it, it was, you know, it was a chance to get back and play the Derby games, which are massive. You know, They're the Derbys in, in Stockholm are up there with the, not, not like Barcelona, Real Madrid sort mm. of thing, but they're up there with the Galatasaray matches and that, and the magnitude and the fans and all of that, and the the actual volume of the fans and everything, and the the T fours and the like, the, the whole build up to the games mm. are massive. And I think that that the games are ranked top five uh, rivalries in in European football. No, they're they're fantastic. They're just brilliant. I love just, it. Like, uh, it doesn't matter to me who's playing. Like, I'll just, I'll go to all of them when I can. You know, it's incredible. Yeah, and, and it's such a great spectacle to be part of. And I wanted that challenge and I wanted the, you know, I wanted to build that club from being where it was to where it could be. And, mm. and um, you know, having said that, I've accomplished all of that together with my teammates and the club over six years. And we won the league and the cup, like you said. And, We've been now the last three years. We were, um, I think we were third, first, and fourth this mm. year. So we're up there. And, um, you know, now it's time to kick on for a new club for me. And, yeah, and that's a different story. But going back to your question, I've forgotten what the question was now. <laughs> having such a relationship with AIK and then signing for yeah, you, Gordon. Yeah, that no, was the challenge was tough in the beginning with all of that. And I knew there was going to be heat. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it was a little bit more than I expected maybe. But uh, having said that, I I had to turn away from the negative side of AIK and I had to win over fans for my own sake in you, Gordon. And I think I did that by being myself. And I was 100% genuine in my approach to the club and professionalism and the way I greeted everybody. I think the love I got now when I when I'm leaving has shown that that in itself has probably been my biggest accomplishment individually, the mm. way I was able to, to turn a lot of people into um, actually accepting me as one of their own and uh, being a great ambassador for the club both on and off the field. And, mm. you know, uh, seeing, uh, seeing the magnitude in our profession as football players is only, not only football players, but actually building ourselves as, as a, a brand in itself, but yeah. you know, working with the club to to excel and making the product better, you know, and mm. it's been it's been great, and now I'm looking forward to taking that knowledge into a new chapter. Over those last sort of six or seven, if you go back to the very end of your time at Sundsvall when you go and were coming in for you, was there any other clubs? Was there any other sort of offers on the table that you thought, oh, that might be interesting, or was you going the only thing? And has anybody else sort of put a bid in for you in the meantime? Yeah, well, in the middle of my Ugordan contract now, I was on the way to Denmark. Uh, there was a couple of clubs uh, on the on the cards for me there, but Norway as well. I had an offer from there. And uh, was that Sandefjord? Your dad used to coach Sandefjord over there. No, I was from start a team that goes up and down a little bit, like yeah. And then there was uh, you know Allbury and a few more were interested there. Good team there, yeah. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, it was interesting, but I felt like the best uh, possibility for me to win something was you, Gordon. Mm. And uh, four months later, we won the Swedish Cup. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> after my extension, so I think I did the right decision there. But, you know, uh, um, and then when I was going to sign for you, Gordon, of course, there was uh, a few other clubs come in for me then as well. Uh, but the the biggest challenge and the biggest uh, 
the biggest thing I saw uh, as a footballing thing was you, Gordon, I thought was the best option. Yeah, it was the best chance of, like you say, it's a big organisation. Even if it's not going well, you think that there's always a potential there. They won a lot oh, with yeah. Kim Shelstrom and, and the, um, Isakson was in goal. Out and all these guys back at the start of you know, 2002, 3, 4, Marcus Carlson, all these guys. And a club that's been that big, it's like Gothenburg now, you know. They, they, they're on their knees at the moment, but they won't be there forever. They're always going to come back, you know. Not that I'm suggesting that you sign for them. But like I say, six years there, cup title, league title. Then they decided that they weren't going to renew your contract. Was that something that, you know, do you feel let down by, because still the same sporting director, still Bosse Anderson, who I have to say is a great bloke, a bit of a wheeler dealer, a bit of a Dell boy sort of a character. But, you know, he tries to do his best for the club is it disappointing then Kev after all that's for them to say oh you know what go ahead we, we let you go you know kind of thing would you, you know, prefer to have stayed it's been a tough autumn for me regarding the way the, my relationship with the with the, with the coaches turned out yeah. and um, the way they viewed me as a player wasn't uh, always uh, in my opinion a fair assessment in mm relation to my performances in training and in, in games regarding my uh, the players that I I was competing with over my spot and, and like you know I've no problem with that um, it's part of the game career, it's part of the game but when I felt like it wasn't honest in that regard to, to how I was being assessed it was tough and difficult but having said that a great relationship with the sporting director boosted during the years and the VD the um, managing director yeah yeah, the manager director, uh, Henke, as well. So, you know, we've been very close working together to make the club better and stuff. And I've been a part of that and, and uh, in everyday work. But, you know, after we dropped out of the Champions League qualification this year to finish Varos, who were playing in the group stages with Barcelona and Juventus and everything, yeah. they, got, they went all the way. They were a good side, but they weren't great against us in mm. the game. And I felt like we didn't really... Uh, make ourselves justice in that game and then we uh, got knocked out of the Euro- Europa League as well and then I felt like I wasn't allowed to be a part of them games and I felt like you know um, definitely time for me to move on so I had a chat with Busa and, and the dialogue was uh, basically mutual where we felt like the, um, you know the, the respect and, the, and the, you know I didn't have the confidence in the trainers Mm. And they didn't have the confidence in me. And it was difficult for the club, no matter how much they in, uh, would, would have liked to see me stay at the club, uh, how they could justify that sort of environment for me. So that was mm. the, basically the, the, the conversation nope. we had. Mm. And uh, from there on, trying to you know, end it in a, in a really uh, respectful way, in sorts, like, you know. What's it like, Kev, going to work every day? And you know, you know, they've told you, look, we think there are other guys who can do your job better. We don't, you know, to be told that and then to have to show up every day and, you know, try to prove them wrong, knowing you're leaving, that must be very difficult. Yeah, the difficult part is proving them wrong and not getting acknowledged for that. But that is professional football and that is professional sports. I mean, that's going to happen once in a while in your career and, you know, it doesn't happen to the very, very best, very seldom, but even Slatan had to leave Barcelona. Yeah. And like, you know, there's loads of situations where people just have tastes and, you know, you're going to have to accept those things. And of course, it was difficult uh, going into that sort of environment and the whole thing. But, 
you know, I have respect for the coaches as well. They need to do their job the best there to their ability and what they believe in and 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 stuff like that. And if if they want to be like that uh, towards me, then fair enough. You know, it's uh, you know, I have no problem with them as uh, as people in that regards. We, you know, I agree to disagree, but at the end of the day, this is my livelihood and my career. And you yeah. know, I felt like I was being short-sighted a lot at a time and I you know I didn't play in my real position for for a good number of months and yeah. uh, you know and um, they had that assessment and, and that that is part of football and I have to accept that and you know I'll be better for it in the future and I know how to deal with even that situation if it would occur again and, and stuff and learn how I could have done certain things differently and I, I've conducted myself very well I think but yeah, that's a long answer again. <laughs> yeah, going to have to it, cut me short there. Not at all. But I'm not editing any of this, but uh, is your next uh, album going to be an angry rock record about those two fucking guys, is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is no, there any of those songs you know, looking around? I, I, you know, I, I don't hold a chip on my shoulder now going forward. I'm going to use that sort of thing as fuel. Yeah. But, you know, it might, it might get, uh, you know, woven into some sort of... Uh, like a hip hop diss Think. track or something like that. You know? Who knows? Who knows? An aggressive <laughs> house mix with a DJ. Or <laughs> Get Robbo in there. He could be quite aggressive yeah. when he wants to be, you know. But if we look a little bit forward then, Kev, because I know we've spoken behind the scenes, we're not going to talk about any of those things. But, you know, what do you want to do now? Because when you grew up in your house, it was Manchester United. It was English football. It was the Premier League. Uh, it was Swedish football, obviously, because your father and your brother played there as well. Um, you haven't closed any doors, right? You play anywhere in the world. You're open for absolutely anything. No, definitely. As long as it suits my family and we're able to make that work in all years. And, uh, you know, I'm checking around. I have a few, have an offer on the table from Swedish teams and, and stuff. And I, you know, I uh, think it's the right time in my career to have a little bit of, um, you know, time to think what's the right thing to do. And I'm going to give myself that time and I'm not going to rush into anything, you know, I'm, um, I'm healthy and, I'm training on my own here and, you know, I'm going to have Christmas with my dad now and I'm going to have a top-class trainer and, you know, we're going to be doing ball work and, you know, physical stuff together. So, you know, I'm getting geared up for the next challenge and that is going to be the biggest factor. Why? Where is the best challenge? And economically as well, of course, where I can uh, get a good contract for me and my family, you know, that's sort of the, the two major things that I'm looking at. Mm. Um, you obviously played underage, under 17, under 19 for Sweden. You were away with the Swedish under 21s um, when you suffered that blood poisoning. What has your relationship been like to Ireland at that time? Because I remember when you were very young, like when you were 15, 16, you kind of saw yourself as sort of primarily Swedish. And then over time, you know, that's, you've always been in touch with our Irish roots. You've always had the greatest Irish accent that I've ever heard, bar none, is Kevin Walker's, right? It's just, it's, that's it's Irish too to me. strong. I can't believe it's this strong. <laughs> it's incredible. But, but then again, I know your dad, so I know where it comes from, you know. But, it gets stronger when I speak to Irish people. Exactly. Yeah, this is the, we're going to have to put subtitles on the audio or whatever, you know. But when you looked at, say, the World Cup in 2002 or that kind of thing, do you have yeah. any feelings for Irish football? Because your dad, of course, of course. played for Bohemians, the club that I grew up supporting. It's, is it, you know, is that a big thing for you as well, you know, the Irish national team? Oh, no, definitely. We, I follow all the games and the qualifications. And, you know, the new thing they're trying to build now with playing out from the back and, mm. and everything is very interesting. Like, you know, I'm, ho I'm hoping that they can get up a few more massive stars that they were when I was growing up, like yeah. the Robbie Keynes and the Roy Keynes and Damien Duffs and, 
you know, these type of players and and they'll be in with a shout for the big, uh, you know, European qualifications and their World Cups and, you know, Ireland should be in there with the talent that, that the country has and I think that, you know, there's players now that need to excel and, and get chances in, in bigger clubs in England and yeah. the other places, of course, but, you know, I think there's a massive potential in Irish football and I think it's been a it's been great following that during my career and you know we've got a close link with our family there in Ireland and you know we normally this time of year I'd be over there for a couple of weeks and you know we miss it dearly and going over and seeing our relatives and you know making sure that my my uh, children get get to see where their grandfather is from and where we have family as well I always feel right at home when we come home and people are like us me and my brother and my my dad and like you know my mother is also like you know they can't believe she's Swedish when she comes over like you know yeah. <laughs> but um, you know we miss it dearly and and um, you know we, we try to go at least once a year over and um, yeah we'll be over as soon as possible again yeah, as soon as the pandemic is over and done with. Yeah. Do you think, Kevin, I've always thought about this, right, that um, the Irish players, obviously, yeah, because England is so close and you can go to a championship club or, uh, you know, a Division One club, that maybe they focus too much on that. Do you think that, you know, the lads that you've seen playing football for Ireland, that they might be able to survive here in the Alsvenskan or in Denmark or in Norway? Is it time for them now, especially with Brexit, to maybe try out these places that they didn't try out so much before? Because your dad was the OG, you know, he was one of, probably one of the very few Irish players has actually played and been really successful over here is that something that maybe more of them should think of because you know you've been on the inside of these big clubs is, is it worth it career-wise to do that I think definitely and it especially if you're in that stage in your career where you're looking to to bounce into bigger leagues and if and you know there's there's been um, it's it's quite a cheap shop to to go shopping for players for the big leagues mm. Sweden and to produce good football players and to produce very good football in the league because, yeah, well, there's the AstroTurf has 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 contributed to that massively. The teams are playing more football and it's quicker and you know it's it's possession oriented, but it's also it's also evolving physically and you know it's it's uh, trying to adapt to to the way that European football is is being produced as well. And looking at Germany, how they've done with a lot of their teams and. And also aspiring to the Spanish style, and there's always been the English influence, and mm. you know I think that it's uh, it's a great place to kick on from, especially in the big clubs where you can get the sell players on. Especially you, Gordon, have been great at it. Mm. Um, you know, selling players for a lot of money, and they have a player now they sold to their to the French league, to the second league there, and he done really well. Timo Cadavera, and now he's in yeah. Lyon. Doing very well. He scored against PSG the other day. They won one goal, nil, yeah. and you're hearing you're hearing rumours that bigger clubs are coming in for him. And mm. you know, it's um, you have Omar Colley centre back. He went to Finland, then he came to Uruguay, and he's the captain almost. No, he's not the captain, but he's playing regularly and doing very well in Sampdoria and mm. uh, Serie A. Maybe he wasn't playing the last couple of games, but he's he's had a solid career after that, going through Belgium, and then you've got players who's gone for. The four or five million euro, uh, mm. you know, fees to to China and stuff like that. So the network and the eyes and everything with we uh, we scout or what they call it and all of that. Yeah. You know, the the eyes are all over the world, and you know, it's um, if you're a good football player and you're you're looking for a good platform, 
it's yeah. Scandinavian football is really good, especially Sweden with post pandemic, hopefully, yeah. and everything like that. You know, the, the the crowds will be back and it's great atmospheres as well. Yeah. Jesus, I miss it. I was at a couple of games there and I could have gone, obviously, as press to certain games during the season. I actually went to see you play once and, you know, you can't even hang around. You can't talk to anybody. That's horrible because the social thing is a big part of that, you know, of, of actually going, talking to fans, talking to players. But I know Manchester United are just about to kick off. We're recording this on a Thursday evening here. I know you're looking at this going, wish you have a fucking wide up so I can get the popcorn. Oh, definitely not. Team. Definitely not. <laughs> I'm always up for talking to you. Philip. You <laughs> yeah, that's so, so, I'm definitely leaving that party in as well to make sure people yeah. keep listening to this podcast well just one last question Kev you would tell uh, sell to sell them though exactly but that's the thing like you know but whatever Pandemic, you do there, there is that as well you know but there'll be a bit more now you know hopefully when you move to some you know big Italian club for your last contract or whatever you have the football as a player God knows you may still be involved when all this is over uh, when your playing career is over you have the music you have your brother who transitioned from being a footballer into a very skilled marketeer filmmaker content creator he's made videos for your music where do you see yourself in five years' time? You mentioned that Pat, your father, had plans for what you were going to do every day when you were kids. What, what do you look at? When you see Kevin Walker at 40, are you 31 or 32 now? 31? 31, turning 32 next year, yeah. So yeah, five years old. from now, I'll be uh, probably looking at the end of my football career. And Last I, couple of years in Sundsvall or Otterbro or something. Uh, who knows, who knows? <laughs> but thereabouts, I think five years is probably, you know, three, four, five years more playing football at top, top level and see how the body reacts, you know, uh, coming into those sort of periods in, in your late mm. 30s there, like, you know. Um, so we'll see how I cope with everything. I feel great today, thank God, and, you know, pushing on. But, uh, you know, music is going to be uh, my uh, priority and that's what I'm, you know, planning for long term and that's what I'm wanting to do and that's by been my uh, my plan all along to to kick on with my music uh, and uh, give it uh, give it a real crack you know and, and and stuff and you know this year during the pandemic not allowed to do any live gigs or anything like that so i've done a bit of uh, studying i've, I've studied at a university on uh, online like from a university and uh, done uh, they call it hug school of playing 30 hug school of playing i don't know what that would Transcend. Yeah, it's a number of semesters of college kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know it's been good, and I've learned more about uh, music production and uh, stuff like that, so I can uh, you know work uh, with better quality. So that'll probably be my uh, you know writing music and creating stuff and releasing and going out and you know excelling in my artistry. That's my plan. I'll tell you what, right, before all this is over, you and me are going to have to go back to Ireland. We're going to have to go and find 10 or 12 songs. We're going to have to find the musicians in the pubs in Carlow and in Clare in Dublin and record them because uh, that's one part of our history that we have to get nailed down. But something oh, tells me... There you go. Something tells me that there's an awful lot more chapters in the story of Kevin Walker left to be written. A very Merry Christmas, school Yule to you and to your family, Kevin, and every success in what you do in the future. And we'll talk again soon. And a same to you, Philip. All the best. Yeah.